Oh, wow. I can't tell you how much I genuinely appreciate Brother Dunbar, his friendship to pastors in this meeting, and I love Brother Young, and I mean, I'm just chiming in. I don't know whose phone this is, but they're friend, friendly looking people. Um, our church, just, I'm just saying an amen to Brother Young, Brother Styles. We have a group in our church called the Wildwood Watchmen. And there's 200 adults in our church that meet monthly and go over the bills, contact the legislators. Three of our church members ran for local office, two won, one's on the school board, one's on the county board. And they had a bill or a proposal to make teaching, accepting the homosexual lifestyle mandatory in our school district. And our church member campaigned against that, got elected, and then got appointed to the committee that tabled that for the entire session. I do believe we can have an impact, but we, we have to be involved. And I, when, when they were considering euthanasia in Wisconsin, we held a seminar on biomedical ethics and had biomedical ethicists come and teach on the difference between the sanctity of life and quality of life. If you let it descend down to, well, their life isn't worth living, that's a very slippery slope. And the legislators that came, the physicians that came, the head of our county medical board, and we gave them resources and books and pamphlets and they said, listen, now we know how we're going to vote. We've only heard the one side. And nobody's ever given us ammunition to stand against this. And I'm just saying, I, amen and amen and amen to, to everything that, that's been said here. Turn your Bible someplace. Um, <laughs> it's a... I'm just on a crusade, but we'll, we'll look at John 13, 35. But this is, you guys have these verses memorized, and I don't. I feel so much like the hamburger after the steak, after the preaching that we've had today, and I appreciate these men and all they've said, and I just, amen and amen and amen, the messages and how... We yearn to be, want to be better pastors, better men of God, better examples, better leaders. When Paul, writing to Titus, said, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, he that's of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. That's a pretty high standard. They're going to criticize. That's just part of the game. But let it be a lie. Let it be a lie. And uh, in John 13, I, I have a, a thing. It bothers me. In this day and age, if you say that, number one, 
COVID came, and now that's pretty well passed, and the churches are back operating, but paint with a broad brush, we're doing everything we used to do in the fort. We're back to having Sunday school. We're back to singing in the choir. We're back to having... I was in Missouri, a pastor stood up and says, if you're still at home, go to church on TV, watch a church in your pajamas. When you die, you don't go to heaven. You get to watch that on TV too. (laughs) He didn't have a Bible verse for it, but I'll tell you, it makes for good preaching. But what was a fully oiled machine, hey, we, this couple does our rest home and this guy does the jail ministry, slow to come out of sleep has been the, anything that has to do with reaching lost souls. And like he mentioned, our church grew during COVID because we just stayed open and the other churches nearby I mean, it's kind of a weird dynamic, but some people stayed home and watched their church on TV and they accidentally turned the channel and said, well, he's a better preacher than than my pastor. (laughs) Hey, brother, the first time we were on live stream, we had 70 people watching and some from Guam and our military and a couple missionaries wrote. And now (laughs) after three months, they're down to four people watching. And their church members are all watching somebody else's services on live stream. Oh, wow, that was an unintended consequence. Um, But the people, some people came and liked what they saw and stayed. And in that three-year period, 13 families joined our church. And I know that's not the norm, but I'm just saying some churches did benefit in a way, through that. And so, but just my target, last year during the preacher's meeting, I talked about how the Acts 15, hey, we're going to lay no other burden on the new converts than to abstain from things strangled, from blood, and from fornication, from the sacrificed idols, because Moses is preached in every city. And for testimony's sake, when we have new Gentile Christians, we're just, they're not going to have to be circumcised after the law of Moses. They're not going to have to observe the Sabbath and new moons. We're not going to have them observe the feast days. Hey, they have the Holy Spirit as we have, and we're not going to make the Gentile Christians do that. And talked about how today, if the average Baptist church is either stagnant or declining the average age of the pastors is getting older and let's be real many many of our younger families are in new evangelical churches bible churches make warm noises churches good god good devil good everything
and the pastors are looking over the fence saying, man, how come our young families don't want to be in our church? Why? I mean, these, those kids were raised in our church, and the damnable thing that I see everywhere is the young people turn 18, 19, 20, they get married, 22, 24, they like the itchy-goomy music, and I'm against rock music except for Jeremiah was a bullfrog. You know that Creedence Clearwater Revival, John Fogarty, that, that was good music back then. That was, but, my first month of being saved, the pastor came to visit me and I showed him my stereo and put the headset on to proud Mary. I ain't no senator's son. <laughs> he endured that. I'm just saying, he was patient with a new Christian, right? But the climate today if you're acquainted with Joseph Prince, the hyper grace movement, you say, well, I don't, know. I don't know nothing about that. Well, listen, the young people are. They sure know. They know what Hillsong music is. They know what Joseph Prince and the... They know John MacArthur and the boy up in, in Minnesota. And you take the hyper-Calvinist, the modern Calvinist teaching and the Hillsong music... And the Joseph Prince, hey, it's all of grace. It's all, listen, uh, don't let anybody guilt you. Don't let anybody shame you. That's all under the blood. You're complete in Christ. It's Christ that lives in you. Don't let anybody. And listen, we've been preaching the truth about our position in Christ. But they've raised this to... Therefore, don't feel condemned about anything. And as we think about it as pastors in churches, we need to make sure that, I mean, hey, the young family leaves because they want that kind of music or whatever, and it isn't just three years later, the same parents, the same families that were in your pews listening to you preach... All of a sudden they say, uh, Pastor, look, we're going we're gonna to be going over there where our kids go because we miss the grandkids. I'm not making this up. And you go, what happened to you leading your kids? Are you telling me now your kids are leading you? It's a shock to most pastors to find out that people sitting in their pews don't actually believe what they believe. The people who leave your church almost never go to a stronger church. They go to a weaker church. And you go, how could they go there? They don't use the King James. They got the smoke machines. They got, they, the guy's got rock music. How could you go there? Don't kid yourself. They didn't have strong convictions about that. Just because they listened to you and warmed a pew in your building doesn't mean they believe that. And the proof is, what are they willing to go to? 
Just don't. Most pastors are guilty of overestimating the spirituality of their people. And hey, we got to go deep into the types and the archetypes of the temple. And hey, our people, I mean, they already are. Hey, don't kid yourself. They're not where you would like to think they are. But anyway, the idea of being able to say to your church when, when they say, well, look, I, I don't think God cares about my music. I don't think God cares. You just tell them, hey, the Bible did not stop in Acts 15. They had the conference and said for new Gentile believers, we're just going to tell them to abstain from things strangled, from blood, from fornication, for testimony's sake. Because Moses is preached in these cities. There's Jews that are watching that would be offended. But lots of Bible got written after Acts 15. Don't go to law with your brother. Don't let there be strife and division. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. Lots and lots of Bible got written afterwards. Let us go on unto perfection. Let us go. And we need to be able, when we object to what they're doing, we need to be able to be biblical about why we object to that. What is wrong with that? What, what's wrong with that line of thinking? No, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to bring you under the law. I'm not a legalist. I don't think that's part of salvation. No! But there's a lot more to Christianity if he's going to be in all things that he might receive the preeminence and you're going to have to honor him in these other aspects of your life. When I got saved, Pastor Nelson preached and said, when you really get surrendered to the Lord, you take the Lord Jesus and invite him into your house and you take him in the kitchen and you say, Lord, is there anything in here that doesn't please you? And he says, get the liquor out of the cabinet. Get the beer out of the refrigerator. And then you take him into your living room and you say, Lord, is there anything in here that doesn't please you? And he says, get rid of that magazine and get rid of that DVD. What? Uh, the ultimate in hypocrisy is complaining about the filthiness on your X-rated videos that you got? You bought them, you put them in your house, you're on a river of sewage into your living room. Don't blame Hollywood. They do what they do. Take them into your closet. Lord, is there anything in here that dishonors you? Take them in your game room. And I mean, hey, when I was first saved, he wasn't bashful about, if you're not making him Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Boy, it's been a long time since I've heard preaching like that. This day and age, it's how dare you say that. Now you're meddling. Hey, the, I cut my teeth on Paul's epistles. Have no idea. But today, how many of you know Marvin Smith over in Fort Dodge, Iowa? Wonderful man of God, and he's involved, and he has a ministry ministering to pastors who have fallen out of ministry, preachers' kids who have gotten bitter and off in drugs or whatever else. 
And he does, he has a counseling center and he has a place for, and he has six, eight, ten families staring there, staying there at any given time and he's trying to help them get back on the right path. There's a lot that goes into that, of course, but I called him oh, a few months ago and I said, Brother Smith, what is it that is making people bitter about fundamental Baptists, independent Baptists? What is it that makes them quitting our churches and going these other places that stand for nothing? What, what's been your experience? And he just never hesitated. He said, it's the meanness. The right position, the wrong disposition. They're angry, they're critical. The only thing they know how to do is holler and complain about everybody else. And they don't see the love of Christ. Right? Everybody, when they fail or falter, they want people to extend grace to them, right? Liberty for me, law for you. I want you to toe the line, but boy, if I screw up or one of my kids screws up, I want you to be the best Christian. <laughs> but he just said, without, it's the meanness. It's not the doctrine. It's the meanness. And I'm so thankful I got led to Christ by Howard Nelson who had a tear in his eye and a genuine compassion and a humility that did not permit this condescending look down your nose, criticizing, condemning. <clears throat> and I'm just going to say I can preach on purity and holiness and everything else but when my daughter got raped and pregnant. What kind of Christians do I want to have in our pew then? Right? I'm saying to you, at the end of the day, the love of Christ has got to be the banner we march under here. And I don't mean in order to compromise anything. So we'll just look at a few verses. You know them. John 13 and verse 35. And I'm just going to slide through a little of this. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I know that's common, as plain as right. But that is supposed to be what we're known for the love of Christ. First Peter 2, it talks about that we he's left us an example that we should follow his steps. If you look in your Strong's Concordance and look up the word above, it shows up, you know, 50 times, and you look up the word all, and it shows up a 1,000 times, but you type on an electronic concordance above all. And look in your New Testament, above all. And you'll find out a six, seven times, above all, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Above teaching the doctrine, above telling about the sacrifice, above, above all. 
is a pretty important statement. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. When I see, I used to tell people, there's a lot of guys that can out-preach me, but nobody will out-love me. I genuinely care. I want God's best for them. You can say hard things to people if they believe you have their best interests at heart. If they believe you have their best interests at heart, you can say hard things to them. And so there's over and over again all kinds of scriptures, and you know them. I'm not trying to belabor that except to just say the premise is today the Hey, it's love, it's love, it's love, it's love, it's love. And we don't actually do a good job of responding to that. We say, well, yeah, no, we love too, but... Hey, we're following Jesus. Hey, we're trying to be a good example. Hey, what... But we yearn for, we long for... I want them to believe that I'm a loving Christian too. I had a a family quit our church, look me right in the face. Brother King, I believe you got the right doctrine, but these people have the right heart. That's tough sledding to get somebody look you in the face, walk out of your church, join a different group. I believe you have the right doctrine, but... They have the right heart. I don't think that has to be mutually exclusive. I don't believe they have to find real love, real mercy, real forgiveness in in another area. Our churches should be a haven. Can you know the worst truth about your people and still love them? We had a guy... His wife came to see me. They were members of our church and he was teaching a Sunday school class and his wife came and brought a Playboy magazine threw it on my desk and it's only the second time. um, She says, my seven-year-old son was reading this. He found it in our attic. Now the The bad thing is, the husband built the house. It wasn't left by a contractor. It was his paper dolls. Now, I call him in, hand him the magazine back. His wife has blood dripping out of her eyes. She's so angry. That's not mine, right? Everybody, when they're caught, they deny it. Then they minimize it. Then they justify it. Then they blame somebody. And at the end of Romans 1, the gay pride parade, then they glorify it. They not only do it, but they have pleasure in them that do it. So the first thing he denies, it's not mine. And his wife says, it ain't mine. My son brought this to me. Oh, okay, look, yeah, okay, it is mine, but that was years ago when we built the house. 
right? We're going to minimize it. We're going to justify it. Then he says, if you'd have been a better wife, I wouldn't have needed a pinch hitter. But right, when you've been in the ministry long enough, you just see this is how it goes. I said, well, look, you know, we have in writing a policy. Anybody that's caught in moral failure, they have to step away from any place of leadership. You can't sing in the choir. You're not going to teach a class. You can resign or I'm going to fire you, but you will not be permitted. We're going to give you a chance to rebuild your life and relationships with your family, with the Lord. And so we're giving you... So I said, we're going to have somebody else teach your class on Sunday. He got angry. Right? When you're a pastor and you're trying to stand for righteousness, what you preach from that pulpit better be what you practice in the week. He goes into the class and announces, my wife and I are quitting this church. We're going to go to a decent church. Pastor King's not really feeding the flock. He's not teaching anything from the Bible. Now, do I say, oh, wow, hey, so my bad. Wow, no, you can teach. Wow, with... I mean, hey, I don't care. Right? Am I going to try to grovel at that feet? To try to keep a tither? Right? I'm saying you just don't have a choice. That's why I say I'm, I'm for the pastor because I get it. Some things defy a solution. And this, this guy goes marching off and him and his family go someplace. And of course, Pastor King, why'd that family leave our church? I don't want to throw him under the bus. I don't want to tell everybody he had a problem with pornography. Right? I said, hey, you're going to have to ask him about that. I'm grieved and anybody leaves. And I'm saying to you, I get it. They can go to a church and live in sin and nobody rebukes them, nobody challenges it. I'm not talking about trying to appeal to the group that wants to be carnal or worldly. Demons have forsaken me having loved this present world. They're not all here. If they were not of us, if they would have been of us, they'd have continued with us. Some of it's going to happen. If you stand for righteousness. But I want to just, I just can't tell you how much. I just want the pastors as they deal with their people to be prudent and biblical in what they say. And so it's just with that I'm submitting to you. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and down to verse number six. You're familiar with the love chapter, charity chapter. Our people, and I'm big on this proactive, teach it ahead of time. Don't wait till you're doing damage control. But our people need to see it's, I get, I, I hate this. I've heard, you, you know, 
love, love, love so much that I go, eh, 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 eh. I'm so sick of hearing that. And it's not because I don't believe that we need to be loving. But don't forget that real love, in verse number six here, of 1 Corinthians 13, charity doesn't rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices in the truth. Real love puts a premium on, hey, uh, I, I can't trim the message just to make you happy. It rejoices in the truth. I have to stand for the truth. I, I feel for you, but I can't quite reach you. I have to stand for thus saith the Lord. I can do no other. The, the, one of the things that's so unbecoming of a pastor is to use the pulpit as a whipping post or Pastor Nelson, the guy that led me to Christ when I became the pastor, he says, now Randy, listen. He says, there's going to be somebody that gives you fits. And he's going to be sitting out there glaring at you. And you're going to change your message and you're going to fire all three cannons and you're going to just lay him low and fray his ears and you're going to get it off your chest. And he says, when you're all done, you got nine dead sheep and that old goat is sitting there grinning at you. Because he goaded you into doing that. And he says, nobody believes that that message came from the Holy Spirit of God. Boy, that was, you mean you think I would do that? Yes, I would. Boy, it was so wonderful that he cautioned me. But I want to show you just a couple verses. We're going to go. Beat the Methodist to the restaurant. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Get along, get along, get along. Come on. Can't you accept? Can't you be kind? Can't you, can't you, aren't you loving? How come you don't? Why don't you? After a while, that gets pretty wearisome when you're a pastor. Just drivel over and over. They leave and they use the same lines. I, I'm going to say this. I can't stand it. Um, in the 60s and 70s, we had the flower children, the tulip child. We had the Volkswagen van with the orange shag carpet, tulips painted on it. And they, we had the anti-establishment, free-thinking, out-of-the-box. I tell you what, I'm not going to buy the company line. I can think for myself. I don't. But strangely, these people who said they were the ones that could think for themselves all wore the exact same hair. Yeah the exact same tie-dyed t-shirt, the exact same bell-bottom pants, listened to the exact same music, and told everybody, I'm a nonconformist. I'm going, what are you talking about? There's a million of you. 
How can you possibly think you're a free? You just found somebody else to follow and quit kidding yourself. So today, you can imagine, I am old. And the guys go, hey, I've been restudying the scriptures about some things. And I don't really think the Bible says anything about clothing. And I don't really think God says anything about music. And it doesn't say that God was going to protect a particular translation Right, And I'm saying, you hear this enough times. You know where they always land? The guy who says, look, I've been revisiting this, and I'll tell you what, I'm kind of out of the box, and I'm not one of those that just believes it because they told me in Bible college. I've been studying the scriptures here, and I've been, I want to get back to the New Testament. Da, 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 da. But where they always end is I'm going to, teach sitting on a stool. I'm going to take my tie off and wear a t-shirt. I'm going to, I'm going to use a different version of the Bible. We're going to have heebie-jeebie music and we're going to, listen to me. They always end here and tell themselves, I thought of this. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? I saw that coming from a hundred miles away. You got sick of standing for the truth and you're looking for a biblical way to excuse wrong behavior. Just tell it what it is. You be honest and I'll be honest. I know where you're going to land. And so you can imagine when I see somebody up on this front end and they go, hey, Brother King, have you ever thought of, I want to take a two by four to their forehead. In Christian love, of course, in Christian love. <laughs> but I just want you to see here in Hebrews 12, and I'm, I'm aware of where we are context-wise here, but look at verse number 14. Follow peace with all men. I want that. But my Bible still says, and holiness. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. There's a, a premium on unity and getting along and all of that. But I can't be a man of God if I'm not calling people to holiness. I, I love you. I feel for you. I can't quite reach you. If you insist on doing that, you got to do it by yourself. Our church isn't going that way. I'm not going that way. This isn't new. One last passage in Hebrews 7, just back a few verses. This Charlie Shedd's book, In His Steps, this mantra, hey, look, I just want to follow the loving Lord Jesus. He, he loved everybody. He understood the woman of the well. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I want to be like Jesus, the Add at the Super Bowl, Jesus gets us. That is meant. That is an absolute undermining hay that's sponsored by the LGBT homosexual. They're saying 
Jesus understands us. Jesus gets us. Jesus knows what we're like. And he loves us and accepts us in whatever we do. And listen to me. That's being crammed on our throats with a plunger day after day after day after day. And they frame it like you're not following the Jesus of the Bible if you're trying to put your church in their womb, if you're trying to say they can't have an abortion, they can't have, if you're, then then who are you? You should be more like Jesus. And I'm saying every church, every pastor needs to go home and preach from Hebrews 7, and I'm submitting this to you. We know the passage, how the Old Testament law, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in verse 21. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, you know, better, better, better through the book of Hebrews. But this man, verse 24, because he continueth ever, ever hath an unchangeable priesthood. Here's the Jesus I follow. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. I need a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He lives to make intercession for us. But it doesn't stop there. Watch. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, separate, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Don't say you're following Jesus if it's not the Jesus that is undefiled and separate from sinners. Hey, you're following, follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. If you're not fishing, you're not following. But don't say you're following Jesus Christ if the Jesus you're following isn't holy, harmless, separate from sinners. That's the Jesus I'm following. That's the one I'm trying to please. I'm not making any apology for what I believe or stand for or preach because this is what I believe is from God. He needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sin and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. I really believe when we read in the Gospels, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Have I been so long time with thee, Peter, and yet has, and has not known me, Peter? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Our people need to know in no uncertain terms, hey, the Jesus we're following the Jesus we preach, the Jesus we worship, he came down and lived a sinless life. Yes, yes, 
He lives to make intercession for us. Yes, he understands us. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yes, we get that. He came to redeem us from all iniquity. We make no apology. Someday we're going to stand before a holy God and answer for how we portrayed him to our people. I just refuse to give Jesus Christ a black eye. I'm going to answer to him. He's the one that counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He's the one I pray to. He's the one I worship. He's the one I'm trying to please. And if that means I can keep a crowd in front of me, wonderful. But if that means it's just him and me, I'm going to do right by that Bible. And I'm just, I'm just saying, when people come to you and say, well, well, you're not as loving as another group. Help them to know I'm in love, but I'm first in love with this Bible, and I'm in love with the Lord Jesus, and this is the Christ I preach. And when you go anyplace else, if they're preaching a Jesus less than that, they're not really having you follow Jesus Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm done. Thank you for your patience. We've heard some tremendous preaching today, but I am just so, so convinced judgment must begin at the house of God. And if first begin at us, if it first begin at us, we can't impact people for good and for God unless we're right ourselves. Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. I know many of you are faithful, godly men serving the Lord week in and week out. But I just want to challenge you today, could we do better? As we face new challenges in a new generation, it's sin is not new and compromise is not new and worldliness is not new. But in our churches today, we're facing an onslaught of it as never before in my Christian life. And maybe we could just take a few minutes today and just ask the Lord to give us unusual wisdom, courage to stand for right, discretion on how to deal with people, wisdom on how to preach and teach and present it to our folks, and then grace to deal with folks who falter. We're going to need God's help for that. Could you ask him for it today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet and I'm going to have prayer and the pianist will play and take a moment and ask the Lord as you think of the messages of the day. Lord, help me be able ministers of the gospel. They're counted worthy of double honor who labor in doctrine. God, would you make us ministers as we are? Lord, we love you. These are good men, good pastors, good pastors' wives, Christians. But Lord, we live in a day of great, great apostasy. We live in a day of great compromise, a day of great perplexity and confusion and 
Lord, I pray the light of the truth of the Bible. Real charity rejoices in the truth and not in iniquity. Such an high priest becomes us who is high and holy, harmless and separate from sinners. Help them to see that we desperately are trying to follow you, Lord Jesus. May they have confidence in our character, integrity, fidelity, and faithfulness. Do a special work in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the PA.